0: Turn with me, if you will, to two places Revelation chapter 5 and Daniel chapter 12. Revelation 5 and Daniel 12. You may be thinking, what are we going to get into this morning? One of the things that I hope we get into, one of the things that I hope that you leave with in these two books that can be difficult to understand is that prophecy, which both of these books are, especially the latter parts of Daniel and almost all of Revelation, falls into that category. Prophecy is not for making charts. It is for encouraging Suffering people in their trials, and if I could get that across, it would be worth the price of admissions. Prophecy is not for making charts, and i fear I fear that we have let movements rob us of what we are supposed to get from things like the book of revelation generally we uh you know generally we shy away from it um, but Uh, John actually says in one three that there's a blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it for the time is near. There's a special blessing associated with reading, just even reading this book, and it's not to map out that the Antichrist is Donald Trump or (laughs) whoever you don't like. That is not what this book is for. This book contains... Details about the end times, but as we learn from Paul and others, and even from the context of this book, we are in the end times in many ways. The end times were inaugurated with the death and resurrection of Christ. They were started, but then they'll be fully consummated, of course, at the very, very end of time. Um, But this is not for charts and graphs and Fox News and CNN and that stuff. This book is given to the saints to encourage them in their suffering and in their trials. And the book of Daniel is the same way. So I hope that going forward, you will read them with that in view. So keep your finger in Daniel chapter 12. We're going to start reading in Revelation 5. This text has been on my heart because of a song that I listened to. Um, written by Andrew Peterson, um, called Is He Worthy? And Shane and Shane did it also, and it's amazing. I would commend it. I almost just played it for you several times and then sat down. It has encouraged me and helped me so much. Um, He starts by saying, do you feel the world is broken? And there's a response, we do. Um, Do you feel the shadows deepen, I believe? And then they say, we do. There's a response, And do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? And then there's a response. We do. And for you, you may feel some of that. You may feel the shadows deepen. Like that may resonate with your soul. Um, I know that many of us here are in a time of trials. And you can make sweeping statements like that because Jesus said through many tribulations, or Paul said through many tribulations you're going to, Enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble. So I can very easily preach a message on trials and suffering and know that it is relevant to every single person in this room. Every single person in this room. But there are seasons that you feel acute trials. Um, and as I've said so many times, and I hope I'm not becoming a bump on a log, because I feel like all I preach about is suffering and uh, hard times and that God is going to get us through it. Maybe that tells you where my soul's at right now. Uh, Feeding myself with the victory of Christ in the midst of fighting uh, trials. And like I said, we, Rachel and I, are not alone. I'm simply articulating where many of you are at. And if you live for any time, all of you will be there. I mean, I'm looking at faces and I can name things off the top of my head, that I know that you're going through, that you've been through. We suffer in this world. We suffer. It is hard. There is difficulty. And so what could help us this morning? That's what I've been thinking about all week. What could help us? And I thought about that song, and I went and started studying this text, and I got some encouragement out of it, and I pray that God will give that encouragement to you also. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is John speaking. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. What is the significance of this scroll? How on earth is a scroll going to help you this morning in your trials? How is it going to help you face today, face tomorrow? How is this scroll going to help us? What is its significance? Well, we learn the significance of this scroll, what it means, what we're supposed to get from it, from two places. One of them is when the scroll was sealed, when it was created and sealed back in Daniel chapter 12, and number two, We learn its significance, what happens when the scroll is unsealed in Revelation 6 and following. So let's take these in reverse. What is the significance of this scroll? In Revelation chapter 6, these seals are opened. And when the seals are opened, what happens? God's purposes for history are accomplished. Judgment is brought on God's enemies God's people are brought through and delivered in salvation. God is seen, when these seals are opened, God is seen controlling history for his own glory and the good and deliverance of his people. This accords, this is right in line. Directly with what happens when this uh, scroll is created and sealed in Daniel chapter 12. So remember, in Revelation chapter 6, we don't have time to go through and read this section. Uh, Revelation 6 and 7, actually, where when the souls, this seal, uh, scroll is unsealed, history unfolds. And God is seen controlling history. So keep that in mind. Back in Daniel chapter 12, let's look at that for a moment. Daniel chapter 12 relates to the creation and sealing of this scroll. It's the same scroll. The chapters leading up to Daniel uh, chapter 12, if you've ever read them, you know that they relate to the trials of God's people and how God is sovereignly going to direct all of history to establish his kingdom, judge his enemies, and save his people. Verse 1 provides an almost summary statement for the whole of the prophecy. Look at what it says, and I'm reading here from the ESV. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. There's a time of great trials, and there's going to be a time of great deliverance. That's the message here. And look at what it says in verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the end of time. There's your scroll from Revelation chapter 5. You, Daniel, shut up these words, all of these words, all of these things about how God is going to control all of history to judge his enemies and save his people, write it in a scroll and seal it until the end of time. That's the scroll that we're looking at, same scroll in Revelation chapter 5. Here's how William Hendrickson describes the significance of the scroll. It represents God's eternal plan, his decree, which is all comprehensive. It symbolizes God's purpose, respect to the entire universe throughout history concerning all creatures and all ages through history. All eternity. It is God's sovereign directing of history. One other commentator said this For us, the scroll with its seals is evidence of what God has planned for the salvation of His people. Notice back in Revelation chapter 5, keep your hand over in uh, Daniel 12, but in Revelation 5 1, notice how this scroll is described. This plan, this, this plan for God to establish his kingdom, judge his enemies, and save his people, it says that the words of the scroll are written, written within and on the back. What is he trying to say? They're comprehensive. There's no, there's no room left in here. There's no wiggle room. It's not like God has just planned the big things that are going to happen between nations. He's planned those things, but he's also planned the minutia, sparrows falling and things like that that Jesus has talked about. It's not just the situation with Iran. It relates to a mother's prayer. It's a plan to answer that prayer. It's not just who's going to win the election coming up next year. It relates to the first day of school and the timing of bills and the timing of money. It is an all Comprehensive plan. This seal, written with on the front and on back, there's no room left. It is a plan with no stone left unturned for God to direct all of history to set up His kingdom and save His people. Eric Raymond, one other uh, a preacher from Kentucky, he says this: Everything you need is in that scroll. Everything you need is in that scroll. So now we understand the significance of the scroll, but why, as we see in verse 3, is John weeping? It says in verse 2 in Revelation 5, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals, and no one in heaven or on earth and under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I begin to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Why is John weeping? Well, back in Daniel chapter 12, we read on. We understand the significance of the scroll. Why is John so dis- distressed? Daniel, in verse 8 and 12.8, says this, I heard, but I did not understand. And maybe that will encourage you who have read Daniel. You heard and did not understand. Daniel himself says, I heard, and I did not understand. Daniel confesses that he doesn't understand everything that's been said, everything that was sealed up in this scroll and some of the things that came afterward. Some of it sounds very distressing and very concerning related to God's people. It sounds like these trials are going to be very difficult. And God's people are going to face some very hard things. And Daniel wants a better understanding. In other words, Lord, are you really going to uh, command all of history for the salvation of your people? Are are they really, is your people, are we really going to make it? And here's what Daniel is told in verse 9. Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. So now, hundreds of years later, we're back to our scroll in Revelation 5. If you've read Revelation, you know the context. God's people are facing difficult trials. And the broken-hearted apostle sees that scroll again. That scroll that contains all the hope that God's people are going to make it. And it is still sealed it is still sealed the scroll that has the plan of history not just on the big level it's written it's written on front and back there's everything in it things related to nations and every detail of your life it is God's plan to sovereignly direct history and save his people and it's all hope for his people is tied up in that and it is still sealed shut We've already read this. Let's read it again. Verse 2, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. This is Revelation 5. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? This mighty angel thunders with his voice through the whole created order. Is there anyone that can unleash the purposes of God? Is there anyone that can take control of history and execute the plan of God to save his people? Is anyone adequate? Is anyone worthy? I read the story of a ship recently. It got caught in a violent hurricane, and in the hurricane, it was hit to one side, and when it was, hit, when it was thrown to one side, one of the very large iceboxes came, and it smashed the steering mechanism. And the ship was almost beaten to pieces because no one was able to control the ship. And that is exactly what this angel is asking. God's people are like someone in a ship that is out being storm-tossed in a hurricane. Is there anybody that can control the ship? Here's the answer. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look in it, and I begin to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. For me, this is one of the saddest scenes in the whole Bible. God's people are depressed on every side. they're facing trials on every side, and they call a champion to call throughout the entire created order, is there anyone? Is Is there anyone that can come for help? Is there anyone that is able to plan? It's right here, but we can't get to it. Can anybody open this scroll? Can anybody unseal it? Is there anyone worthy? To take command of history and execute the plan of God to save his people? Or are we like that ship that has the steering smashed and we are out on the ocean all by ourselves and there is no one at the helm? No hero can be found to bring God's people safely through. When the echo finally fades from this angel's voice, The only thing that is heard is the sobs of this broken-hearted apostle. There is no one. And you need to understand the dilemma here. What's the problem? Why, Why can no one go and take the scroll? Because no one can walk up to God and take something out of his hands. And if you don't understand that, then you haven't begun to understand what the word holy means. It's not just that John couldn't answer because he was sinful. The mighty angel can't do it either, who has never sinned. He's never sinned, and he can't take the scroll either. He's not worthy. You can't walk up to God and take something out of his hands. He's holy. He dwells. We we use words. The Bible uses words, analogies to try and get at this. It talks about God dwelling in unapproachable light. We have these songs that talk about he wraps himself in light. What does that even mean? What are we trying to describe? It's like you're trying to use words to talk about something that can't even be described. He's holy. You can't walk up to God and take something out of his hands. No one is worthy to do that. John knows it. John's looking at his people Over here in distress and trials and facing sin, if you've read Revelation 2 and 3, you know all that was going on in the churches. Lukewarmness. He's looking at the size of God's enemies, and it doesn't look like they're going to make it. And all of the hope for those people is tied up in someone being worthy to open the scroll. You can feel the tension Sam Storms writes this, he said, to be perfectly honest, I read he has a little article on this text, he said, to be perfectly honest, there are times when I feel the same way John did as he stood before the throne of God. Reading Revelation 3-4 through 4 resonates with my own fears and anxiety about where human history is going and whether or not we are ever going to emerge from this colossal mess that we've created for ourselves. He's saying, I know what John feels, and maybe you do too. You know what it feels like when you feel like there's not a real firm foundation under you. You're getting hit with trials from every side. You're praying and you're not hearing. I was talking to a brother earlier, and we were both talking about the phenomena where you say, I can't take anymore. And then the next 10 times that you say that, you realize, apparently I can, but it's not good. Like, I feel like I'm being, like, I really know. I, this time I am serious. I really can't take any more. And then lo and behold, you do, but you feel just so stretched. You feel hollow, and you're wondering. You know we've got miles yet to go, and is there going to be an end to this thing, and are we going to make it? I confess that the last few years of my life have been, <laughs> they have been the most difficult and disillusioning that I have had to date. I used to talk about seasons of trial, but now I'm starting to learn that these seasons sure just look like maybe life's hard. Life is hard. But you want to know the thing that's been the hardest on me? My own sin. That's what's been the hardest on me. There are things in my life, when I became a Christian, that God took away in an instant. And there are other things in my life where every step has been hard fought. And sometimes it has felt like two steps forward, three steps backwards. We were at the beach recently, and I was um, digging a sandcastle. And every time I was digging this hole, and every time I would dig in one side, it would fall on the other. And that's what it's felt like sometimes in the fight with sin in my own life. That's been hard. That's been hard, and it's been very discouraging. And I thought I can remember. Um, I remember when I met Paul Washer at the Youth Evangelism Conference, and we sat down and talked. After we got done talking, he, he laughed and shook his head. He said, you, you are so strong right now. Man, you just, you're just on fire, and you're going to go conquer the whole world. He said, but let me just tell you something that you're not going to believe, but stick it in your back pocket for about 20 years from now, which is a, we're getting close to that. He said, stick this in your back pocket for about 20 years from now. God is going to so work weakness into your life that if you can even pick up a mop and mop a floor for his glory, you're going to be satisfied and happy. He's going to make you weak, and it's going to hurt And you're going to feel disillusioned, but know that this is going to be the work of God in your life. But it's hard. And the only thing that I'm doing about articulating some of our trials is articulating some of yours also. Many of you have faced the same things. Many of you are in similar types of trials. And we have a tendency in the church to compare our trials with one another. And you have this tendency to say things like, we're going through this. I know it's nothing like you've been through, you know, to kind of minimize it. That is not helpful. It's not like there's a trialometer that you bring into a situation. It's like two people say their trials, and you're like, hey, I think you're a four. I'm a six. You probably want to go talk to the four trials over there. That is not the way that trials work because what can be difficult for someone because of a myriad of circumstances and what God is doing in their life can be easy for another and vice versa. Life is hard in a fallen world. It is hard in a fallen world. It is difficult and at times it can feel disillusioning. And you may be feeling that in your life too with all of the trials, unanswered prayer, money, work, sin, all sorts of things that face us on every side. But there is hope. There is hope. To summarize, we are pressed with trials on every side, as all of God's people are, and we know that the storms are not over. But praise the Lord, the silence is broken by one of the elders. Listen to what he says. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, and Lake Road, I want to say it to you this morning, weep no more. Weep no more, dear saint. Your tears of trials are not over. There are going to be more trials. But let the tears of despair be ended. Weep no more. Why? Why? Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Your times. Now listen, listen, listen. Because it doesn't feel this way sometimes. It doesn't feel this way. Listen to what the Bible is telling you this morning. Picturing it in prophecy, demonstrating it in Old Testament stories, didactically in the apostles, seen in the life of Jesus. The message of God is this. Your times are not random. They're not random. The trials that feel random, they're not random. Your times are not in the hands of evil men. Your times are not in the hands of the devil. Your times are not in the hands of regimes or people or who has control of the nukes or what your kids are thinking right now. Your times are not in the hands of any of these things Your times are in the hands of the Son of God. Jesus has taken control of history, and everything about your life is ordered by him. The things on the big level and the things on the very small level, the things that happen to you as a family and the things that happen right down in the minutia of your life All of it. Remember, that scroll is written on the back and the front. It is just full. There is no, we have almost worn out the statement, there is no maverick molecule in the universe. Jesus Christ is at the helm of history and he controls and orders all things for the glory of his Father and for your salvation. Jesus is in control of history. the tears of trials are not over but let the tears of despair let them end weep no more three things i want to note briefly about the one who controls your times number 1 he's described as a lamb number 2 he's described as a slain lamb number 3 he's described as a slain lamb that is standing Number 1, he's described as as, as a lamb. Your times, and, oh, isn't this a comfort? Your times are in the hands of one who is described as a lamb. That's comforting. Because the one thing that breaks suffering people more than anything else is harshness. Harshness will break a person, break a person's spirit almost like nothing else will. There's a story back there of the Israelites in Egypt when the Egyptian taskmasters doubled down on them, and Moses wanted to try and encourage them. And we read this. It says, quote, They did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Harshness has a way of breaking a broken people even more. Your times, the one who orders every moment of your life, the one who orders the times of your kids and your job and your finances and all of these things, he is described as a lamb. He's gentle. That's what Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says. It says, come to me. This is Jesus. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden. Does that ring any bell? He's saying, are you worn out? Are you tired? Do you feel beat down? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For I am gentle, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. One of my favorite verses from Isaiah 40, 11 says this. It says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead those that are with young. You just get this picture of gentleness. Gentleness. Your times are in the hands of one who is described as a lamb. Not only that, he's described as a slain lamb. This is not a pleasant sight, but it is very comforting. He's a slain lamb. How did he get that this way? How did the lamb come to be as one who looks like a slain lamb? Do you know why? He is one that looks like a slain lamb because he faced everything that is bothering you this morning. He faced everything that's bothering you. The lamb didn't stay. He didn't assert his rights to the throne and essentially just assert his rights to rule history. God the Son Put on flesh and came down in our mess. The reason why he looks so bad is because he's been through the things that are bothering you this morning. Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely, he knows what it's like to be lonely. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. Jesus knows what it's like to have family problems and to face problems in his family. Jesus knows what it's like to face loss. Jesus knows what it's like to face betrayal. Jesus knows what it's like when you want so much to stand beside some of you, but everybody went to sleep. Jesus knows what it's like to pray and heaven feels like brass. Jesus knows what it's like to pray that God would spare you from the trial because you feel like you can't make it and the trial comes anyway. Jesus knows what all of that's like. The reason why he looks like a slain lamb is because he has faced all of the things that are so heavy to us this morning. And isn't that encouraging? You're not dealing with someone who doesn't know what it's like to face these things. He even knows what it's like to face the shame of sin. I read a story of a... Um, war vet that came back. I believe it was from the um, the Gulf War back in the uh, back in the nineties, and he just could not recover. And he was suffering from depression, and it got really bad. And as I recall the story, he went out into the woods, and he was going to take his life. And there was a group trying to talk him out of it, and no one could talk him out of it. And um, one of the police officers stepped up and said, what, what company were you in? And he said, I was in such and such company. And the police officer said, oh, I was, in that, I was in this other company. He said, did you see? And he named off a bunch of places over there. He said, yeah, I saw those things. He said, yeah, I saw them too. And pretty soon, they were talking about the battles that they both had seen. And finally, the police officer <laughs> told him, he said, let's go and the guy walked out with him. Why did he walk out? Because he had someone leading him out who knew the pain of what he was facing. Jesus knows the pain of the things that you're facing. The one who commands history is gentle, and he knows what it's like to live in a fallen world where you are pressed on every side from loneliness and betrayal... And prayers that feel like heaven's brass and pleading for trials not to come that come anyway. Jesus knows what it's like. That is the one who is ordering your history. All of the things that come into your hand that put a song in your heart and all of the things that come into your life that make you feel heavy, Jesus is ordering all of those and he knows what it is like. He is not only a lamb, He's not only described as a slain lamb, but he is described as a slain lamb that is standing. Like, what does that even look like? A slain lamb that is standing. What is God trying to show us here? What is he trying to teach us? The picture is very significant. You get this from all of Revelation. You get this from the Gospels. You get this from Acts, and you get this from the Epistles. He is standing because he conquered. He's standing because he conquered. A slain lamb standing. Here is your picture of conquering in Christianity. It's a lamb standing up that looks like it's been slain. What are we supposed to get from this? He conquered through suffering. Through suffering. The way that God brought him to victory, the way that he was led to victory, was not through a path of ease it was not by avoidance of all pain, not by avoidance of all victory. The way that he was brought, brought, brought to conquer and to overcome was through the path of trials. And that sounds a lot like what Jesus said to us when he turns around and he says, If anybody wants to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Man, we have domesticated that one to the nth degree. He said, if you follow follow me, it's going to be like taking up a cross. And what else does he say? Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But is that the Oliver says? He says, take heart. Take heart. Sounds a lot like weep no more. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Paul says, through many tribulations, we will have to enter the kingdom of heaven. The path that Jesus... This lamb that is so gentle, this slain lamb that knows about difficulty, the path that you are going to be led through as a Christian includes difficulty and trials. So when these trials come and they press you on every side, and it feels like something's gone wrong. It feels like life is random. It feels like evil is at work. It feels like that no one is at the helm of history. Know that nothing has gone wrong. The lamb is on the throne directing history, and just like he was brought to conquer through suffering, you will be brought to conquer through suffering and trials. We don't go looking for them, but if you've lived long enough, you know that you don't have to. Difficulties are going to happen, and it is a comfort to know that the difficulties that you are facing right now are not the result Of randomness, they're not the result of chance, they're not the result of evil people, they're not the result of anything except the slain lamb who is controlling all of history in some ways that are so mysterious to us, but he is controlling all of history for his father's glory and the good of his people. This gives us a little taste of why Peter can say things like, do not be surprised at this fiery trial that you are encountering. And how in the world, and after over a couple of decades in the faith, I am just learning this like in the past three days, how can Paul talk about rejoicing in tribulations? And how can James sound, say things like, um, count it all joy when you tr- face trials of various kinds I, I would affirm that and believe that. I did not have a category for that in my mind. I am just now starting to get that category. One of the, the reasons why you can rejoice is these trials are not coming at random. They're directed by Jesus, the lover of your soul. And they're, they're not just um, busy work. You know, sometimes in school when we would have a sub, you could always tell when they ran out of the lesson plan They start giving you like copy work. It's like, we know this, like what in the world? Did we do something wrong? I mean, it wouldn't even be something hardly intelligible. It's like, just copy this thing. It feels like busy work. There is no such thing as busy work from the hand of Jesus. John Newton said this, everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. So if you have trials in your life right now, and you do, if you feel pressed on every side, and many of you probably do, you need to hear this. These things have been brought into your life by one who understands, and he is directing all of history. He is going to make you a conqueror. You are going to make it. You are going to make it. He is going to bring you through the other side. He has you in his hand. He is worthy to open the seals. He has taken his seat on the throne. And evil cannot touch you. You can't lose a hair on your head even if you're persecuted and lose your life because everything is directed by Jesus. Everything, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, is ordered for our good. For our good. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a sense this morning of Christ seated on his throne. Not just as a cold CEO, but someone who intimately knows the things that trouble our hearts. And that all things are being ordered for him for his Father's glory and our good. I pray that you would encourage hearts this morning, Lord. Please strengthen your people. In Christ's name, amen.